Welcome to the podcast for people turning their great American RV adventure into stressless camping. We're glad you joined our weekly adventure. Now let's gather around the campfire with our hosts, Peggy and Tony Barthel. Hey, that's that's us. That's us. Hey, welcome to our driveway campfire. Yeah, from Camp Boredom in Northern California. <laughs> we are two RV industry veterans who travel part-time in a small travel trailer looking to share big adventures and help you with great tips, tricks, and discounts. Sorry, I'm a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> oh, man. So we've been challenged because we don't get to go traveling. But then we have to think about our friends who are full-time RVers and the challenges that they're facing and the changes that need to be made in the RV industry. So I wrote, a, I wrote an article this week, and I had some cool full-timers that I got to speak with. And so thank you to them. We'll put a link in the show notes to the article. But... The bottom line is there has been a lot of legislation passed or rules put into place that essentially forced full-timers to travel. And it kind of uprooted people without their wanting to be uprooted and forced them to go elsewhere. Not everybody. There have been also some cases where... They weren't allowed to move. Right. <laughs> or right, they weren't were expecting to. For example, our county, where we live here in Northern California, basically said, okay, all you RV parks kick everyone out and you guys just go your own way. Well, where are they going to go? Right. I mean, if they're part-timers, then, all right, maybe some people have their homes to go back to. Right. But if you're a full-timer, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I think we need to, as an industry, be more proactive about legislation and this kind of thing. And so it's just something to think about. And so check that article out. It's kind of interesting to see what different people are doing in these times of different times. Of right. Unique challenges. Right. Did you make our camping reservations? No, everything's full. We might have to rethink our trip. No way. Did you look at Boondockers Welcome? You remember they have hosts all over the place where we can stay free. Some that are totally off-grid camping and some with partial and even full hookups. There's all kinds of great places to overnight. Of course. And we even have a coupon code to join Boondockers Welcome on our partners page. You could save five bucks when you sign up. How could I forget? There are all kinds of great places we can find on the Boondockers Welcome website. Our trip is saved. And speaking of saving money, we will, since there's no charge to stay at any Boondockers Welcome site. It's the best deal out there, and it's a great way to meet local hosts and stay in local places and expand our journey. Well, I'm going to finish planning our epic road trip, and it's going to be even better with stays we find on the Boondockers Welcome website. And it's so easy to locate hosts along your next epic adventure. So can you imagine traveling and camping in the olden days? I mean, you know, like <laughs> the 50s. <laughs> oh my God. We have an unusual love of vintage RVs. No, we have a love of unusual... Well, hmm, how do I put that? We're weird. <laughs> we love unusual vintage RVs because we're unusual vintage Yeah, well, we, we also like vintage cars. <laughs> we do, indeed. There's just a certain appeal to vintage stuff 
our house has a stove and refrigerator from the late 50s. So we just like old stuff. We do. Which is good because we're old so we can like each other. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> speak for yourself. I actually called someone an ageist on Facebook oh this morning. Oh, my God. Because they talked about people over 50. <laughs> You young whippersnappers. So my kind of favorite, because I'm the most familiar, would be the Winnebago Lifetime premiere. Yes. I did a whole series of articles about a variety of vintage, in this case, motorhomes. And I've developed a fascination with these things. So we thought that's what we would talk about this week on the Stressless Camping Podcast is, is a few of these interesting vintage motorhomes and their place in history. And the one Peggy just mentioned which is the lifetime premiere or the first Winnebago was really revolutionary because at that time, at the start of all of this, it used to be that motorhomes were very expensive playthings for people who had a lot of money, basically. If you if you could afford a motorhome, you were doing okay. And then along came the Winnebago Lifetime Premier Motorhome. And that just changed things. And part of that was essentially what Winnebago did is they took Ford's bread truck chassis and built a motorhome on it and used this thing called thermopanel construction. Essentially, the inside wall, a foam core, and the outside wall were all glued together in this pinch roller system. And it allowed them to make motorhomes very inexpensively. And they made a ton of them. They really started the motorhome market for the regular person. And as such, Peggy's mom had one. That's right. So that was our not only our camper when I was in high school, but also our daily driver. It was the only vehicle we owned for several years. Peggy's mom had five kids, and this made a lot of sense. You could travel around. The original Lifetime Premier was a 19-foot motorhome with a six-cylinder Ford engine. So it was relatively efficient it was it had a lot of space inside and heck you want to go on vacation you've got all your That's stuff right. you had a bathroom <laughs> and had beds and it had a stove and a refrigerator and black tank and gray tank and so it was a full-on proper motorhome that you could buy for about the price of the average car in those days. Right. So we used it as, like I said, a daily driver. My mom did a lot of sewing and she worked for a company that moved about two hours away from us. So she did a weekly delivery service for all of the people that worked in her area. And we drove it to church and drove it to the grocery store. And then we go camping on the weekends. Pretty cool. And then we inherited it. Well, not inherited. We, it was <laughs> given to us. And unfortunately, Peggy's mom is in Colorado. We're in Northern California. And getting it here was a bigger challenge than we had anticipated. Right. Because some of that glued together paneling was coming unglued. And the people who were willing to ship it said, well, the first thing you have to do is completely shrink wrap it. And so the value was more than it was worth, really. Right. And so we decided to sell it in Colorado. And there's a guy restoring it right now. That's right. So we lost track of it for a year or two and then caught back up with it. So I've been kind of watching the renovation of old Winnie. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So when we had the opportunity to have a Winnebago, we then instead bought a 64 Chevrolet Corvair camper. And basically, I'm sure most people who listen to this are familiar with Volkswagen bus campers, the old van campers that now are just worth an absolute fortune. It's so trippy. 
Well, when Chevrolet introduced the Corvair, the rear-engine air-cooled Corvair, they basically matched all the vehicles in Volkswagen's line, model for model, and even added some. So Chevy had a four-door sedan and a station wagon and a coupe, but also a pickup and a van. Right. The van was either available as a cargo van or as a passenger van, and as a passenger van, it was called the Greenbrier. And so Chevrolet really took advantage of this pretty diverse product line, and they had camper kits that you could buy at the dealer, and the dealer would install and turn a Greenbrier passenger van into a camper. And those were cool. Well, other people, knowing the market penetration Chevrolet had in the 60s, they made kits for panel vans. And so that's what we had. We had a Chevrolet core van with the (laughs) camper kit. And there was also drop-in campers for the Chevrolet Corvair pickup. And the interesting thing about those pickups is there were models that were, you know, typical pickup bed. But again, the motor's in the back. Right. Or there were what they call ramp side, where on the passenger side, there's this giant ramp that would fold down to let you roll stuff into the pickup bed, which is neat. Right about the place where an RV door would be, right? Yeah. So what (laughs) these these drop-in campers did is you basically took that ramp off and you drop the camper in and they put a full-size door it was it was kind of a neat arrangement i've never seen one in person but i've seen pictures of them lots and lots of pictures yeah they're just interesting but the corvair camper that we had we had a good time with that thing we sure did we like to camp in it a little bit but we used it you know obviously we took it to car shows and it was quite unusual And also, we took it to the drive-in theater quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. so in our county, we have a drive-in theater, so we would park things sideways, and we would sit there and enjoy the drive-in movie. And I am not a late-night person. I'm more of a morning guy. And so while they would watch, our drive-in shows two movies when it's open. Right, and they don't start till about 9 when it gets dark. So by 11.30 when the second movie started, Tony would crawl in the back and use the bed. Yeah. I would sit at the dinette which was perfectly placed to see out the side door and onto the screen. And then if we took anybody else with us, they'd sit with me or they'd sit in lawn chairs outside. Yeah, it was. It worked out really, really well. And at the car shows, I liked it because if you ever go to a car show, you see all these guys sitting around in lawn chairs in the sun because yeah. car shows are in summer. Well, heck, we had a dinette. So we would sit inside the van and had our comfortable seats. And it was it was really neat. And so there's a picture of me and a couple of my friends from a car show drinking wine <laughs> in the back <laughs> of the van. And there's a battery-powered van. But we really enjoyed that van. And, and we sold it. And I kick myself every day when, you know, if you're, if you like vintage cars or classic cars or whatever the term is, gosh, there's always, yeah, there's the one that got away and this, the Corvan is, is mine. Yeah. We, but that thing, it had a mind of its own. It just was so temperamental. There were days when it just ran like a new car. It was fantastic. And there were days where it just didn't, it wouldn't start. I mean, it was just like, nope. So if you ever watch the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Jessica Rabbit, her her tagline was, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. So we called the van Jessica. She wasn't bad. She just ran that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time I went with our nephew, Joe, and we were driving around, went and did some errands and she was just running great. And then we get in the van at the grocery store and it, I mean, nothing. It was completely dead. Didn't want to start at all. 
So I messed with it because I know a little bit about old machines and I was messing with it and it was just like, gosh, this thing does not want to, it, it, dead. I don't know what the heck happened. And so we call AAA and up where we live, calling AAA is like making a request at the radio station. Yeah, they'll get there, but <laughs> might be a couple hours. Yeah. So anyway, we finally get a text that says the truck is on its way and I get in the van and I turn the key and it fires right up. And it's like, Jess, you pain in the neck. (laughs) Like I say, she wasn't bad. She just drove that way. There you go. The Corvair camper. All right. But that's not the only Corvair camper to drool over, right? Because there's also the Corvair Ultra van. Right. So then there was this dude, David Peterson, who's an aircraft designer. And when he wasn't designing aircrafts, he liked the great outdoors, as all of us do. So he wanted to be able to take his camp trailer and his boat on journeys with him and he didn't see any solution that fit what he wanted so he thought why not take a camp trailer and turn it into a motorhome and then pull the boat behind you and that kind of makes sense and so he kind of was fiddling with the idea and then 1960 chevrolet introduced the corvair and he thought if i basically build an aircraft body put a corvair engine in the back then i'll have the ultimate go home And so he rented a garage and built one of these things called the Go Home, which was a Corvair-powered motorhome using aircraft construction for the body. So it was actually relatively light, was about 3,000 pounds, which is not that heavy, not too far out of what a normal passenger car weighed. But the interesting thing, it was 6'2 on the interior of this thing, and it had the Corvair engine in the back under the bed, but it had everything you needed. It had black tank, gray tank, it had a kitchen, it had folding beds, the whole works in something you could drive around with a Corvair engine. Nice. Yeah, it was interesting. It was 22 feet long, 8 feet wide, and had 6 foot 2 inches of headroom, but the whole vehicle was just 8 feet tall. And then that way he he could tow his boat behind and not have to compromise on whether he was going camping or going boating. Right, exactly. And these things today, by the way, if you're going to collect any vintage vehicle, the first thing I suggest you do is join whatever club there is for that. And that's typically where you'll find the best examples of these vehicles and also support for the restoration process and very likely find the vehicles themselves. Right. So there is an Ultravan club. And if you have an interest in collecting vintage Corvairs, there's a company called Clark's Corvair, and they make pretty much all the parts that wear out, and they just do an exceptional job. The parts are affordable. They're very well made. This guy, Cal Clark, is just a super guy who's been building Corvair parts for decades and does a great job of it. So if uh, Ultravan is something you might be interested in or a Corvair van with a camper kit, gosh, the parts are out there. That's good to know. And they're still relatively affordable. But the good thing is since the Corvair Ultravans, well, the Ultravan was its own company, wasn't part of Chevrolet. It just used Corvair engines. The Ultravans with the aircraft construction are not going to delaminate like a lot of the glue together. For example, that was a problem we had with the Winnebago is the glue, 50-year-old glue, doesn't hold so well. (laughs) And so they start to come apart and water damage 
destroys them. Well, that's not true because the Ultravan was basically built like an airplane of the time. And so they they still hold up fairly well. And that's kind of cool. Oh, another thing, the tanks, the black and gray tanks are actually integral into the construction of the vehicle. So it's really a neat thing. When you think an Ultravan weighs less than my Honda HRV. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's a motorhome. <laughs> and it's a motorhome. Compare that to those 40 foot buses you see driving down the road today. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and that even then was common to basically make a motorhome out of a truck chassis. And so the ones we're talking about in this episode are all unique because they were not built on a truck. Well, except for the the Winnebago. That one was built on a bread truck chassis. Right. Boy, say that three times. That's not... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's say you want a vintage motorhome, but you can't find a Corvair. What are you going to do? Well, there are a number of others. Let's say you like unusual things. As I do. Right? Well, yeah, you married me. Right. Another option is the Clark Cortez Motorhome. And uh, Clark, you might recognize that name as a company that made forklifts, of all things. Please tell me they didn't build a motorhome on a forklift. Well, (laughs) not totally, no, but... Clark, okay, so one of the weird things about forklifts is they are front-wheel drive because, you know, all the weight basically is in the front, so they put the engine kind of behind the driver and it drives the front wheels of the forklift. So with that experience of building front-wheel drive things, they, I don't know how you make the leap of we're building forklifts to we're building motorhomes, but they did. Well, good for them. Yeah, and so, (laughs) well, good for us because- Clark basically took that front-wheel drive experience. They bought six-cylinder engines from Chrysler, the 225 Slant 6, which if you are at all an automotive fan, you realize that that engine is this incredible bulletproof, but not very powerful engine. And they made it a front-wheel drive. And the only option was a four-speed stick shift manual transmission in these things, driving the front wheels. And they're not all that quick, at least not the original ones, but apparently they got decent mileage. And so since the engine and the transmission were up front, again, the motorhomes were allowed to be lower and closer to the ground and there was no driveline underneath the main body of the motorhome. And that's kind of another theme here. The Corvair one, the engine's in the back. There's no driveline under the body of the motorhome. So it's a low flat floor. Same thing with these Clarks, such that they actually put the door in the back of the original ones and you just step up and the little Clarks were only 18 and a half feet long, but they're all made out of welded steel. So they're built like tanks. And so as such, you can still find them and restore them to this day. And of course, the rust is is probably the biggest challenge, but they had a lot of innovative things. Of course, the front wheel drive, the bed, there's a seat on the passenger side, a front seat, and it kind of flipped up to form a bed. And then the dinette kind of flipped to form another bed, sort of kind of underneath that bed. It's almost like a staggered bunk bed type arrangement. Okay. It's, it's unusual. They claim you could sleep four people in comfort and they were full-size beds. So take that for what it's worth. They're all folding. So there you go. But they also had a water heater that used engine exhaust to help it along 
and it was a tankless water heater. And the first of these Clarks came out in 63, the greatest year ever for this planet. <laughs> a lot of innovation. They had overhead cabinets, kind of like in a bus, because since the whole motorhome was built out of steel, it could support those cabinets overhead. Yeah. So, so wait a minute. If they used engine exhaust to heat the water, does that mean you could only take a shower while someone was driving down the road? No, I think it was an assistive thing. Oh, okay. I think. Although that'd be interesting, you know, so that reminds me. <laughs> or maybe you just had to turn the motor on to warm your water up. No, I think it was assistive, but I, I you know, I'm still doing research on that. <laughs> when I was... Hey, honey, could you drive around the block? I need to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> hey, quit hitting you, the bumps. Can you imagine taking a shower while the RV is moving? Though? I dropped the soap. <laughs> And it flew out the window, go back around the block. The door flies open and you go out completely naked. 911, what is your emergency? There's, you a, naked pers- There's a naked person covered in soap running around the campground. <laughs> That reminds me. So when we were kids, we decided, my my parents decided to rent this motorhome. And the best description of it is what's left of a motorhome. There was literally aluminum foil in the fuse box. I mean, it was was truly a hunk of junk. We had to replace the fan belts while we were driving. The thing that's most notable to me is somehow they had disconnected the drain. Okay, so the whole bathroom was the shower, so it was a wet bath. And you could look down the drain and see the road. So of course Wait, it was I was a train car. No, <laughs> no, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the train cars, the toilet basically empties onto the tracks a lot of times. But in this thing, you could look down while you were driving and see the road. And so, of course, being a twelve-year-old boy, I gr- got great delight from using the bathroom while we were driving. But that's something I don't know. Like I would assume this thing had a black tank or a gray tank, rather. But I don't know. You just look down and there's the road uh, or oh. the ground. You didn't have to worry about flyback. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. We will just leave that one right yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Sometime if you ever run into me, ask me about that. <laughs> okay. We've got vintage motorhomes that don't exist. In, I mean, that are just available as vintage motorhomes anymore. But is there any motorhome that started way back then and is still going on today? No. But I know what you're leading to. You're thinking of the GMC motorhome. (laughs) Yeah. So those are, in my opinion, my favorite vintage motorhome. And it is the only example of a motorhome built by a major car company as a complete process. So what GMC did, there was another company that we're omitting here just because I haven't written a story about it yet. I mean, there's the truth. But Revcon basically took the Oldsmobile Toronado engine and transmission which is a front wheel drive it's a big engine too front wheel drive engine and transmission and made motorhomes and the clark cortezes later the company basically sold the motorhome division to another company who then sold it to individual investors and that one ended up with the oldsmobile 455 v8 and automatic transmission instead of that little chrysler six but GMC basically is the only major vehicle company that from scratch built a motorhome. And these things are in high demand among collectors today because they use the full engineering resources of General Motors to 
to build a motorhome and they're well-made. Again, they're not the laminated construction, so they don't delaminate per se. They have some fiberglass and some aluminum construction. They have an air suspension in back where you can actually turn a knob on the dashboard and level the motorhome out using that air suspension. It's so cool. Again, they're full motorhomes. They have black tank, gray tank. They had macerators. Some had vacuums, you know, like central vacuum systems. They're built in the 70s. They're built basically from 73 to 78. That's pretty plush. Oh, they were. You have to see the pictures of the interiors of these things because they were built in the 70s. (laughs) And so there's things like green plaid. shag carpet. Oh, yeah. Shag carpet, (laughs) orange plaid interiors they're very very advanced but they still apparently drive exceptionally well today and so they have these huge front windshields and as you're driving it's like being in a fishbowl but just a really well thought out motorhome and again a very avid club so if you're looking to get one of these there's a lot of resources you can turn to and still parts available and such i love these things and they To me, they still look as good today as they did in the 70s. Now, maybe not the interior if you don't like plaid. or. (laughs) Well, they still look as good. It's just that the definition of good has changed a little bit since the 70s. No, but I also think that the exterior styling of these things is still as modern and clean today as it was then. I I really think they were well designed. Well, and that was a time when GM just had all of its ducks in a row in the styling department, in my opinion opinion. I know it's subjective, (laughs) but GM just had their act together and they owned two thirds of the automotive market in the US. So that helps. Yeah. And because they built stuff people wanted like these motorhomes. So that's another one. And again, flat floor, no driveline underneath. They had a tandem rear axle, number of different floor plans. They even built sort of a, you can see them in the movie Stripes. They built a commercial version of the chassis. So (laughs) for people who are using a for different things besides as a motorhome. Just a neat, I I like them. So that's another one, the GMC motorhome. But not all RVs are on the ground. What? (laughs) So Winnebago, because, you know, they built a lot of RVs in the 60s and 70s. They were just the force to be reckoned with in the RV industry. They sold a ton of RVs because they were inexpensive. They're well-made. Again, something a lot of people could afford. But then, as such, they decided to kind of branch out. So they worked with a company called Orlando Helicopter Airways and made a few of these helihomes under the Atasca brand. Wait a minute. Yep, they made helicopter motorhomes. Now, this was in the early 70s, and they only made a very, very few of them. I think they made two or three of these things. And they were at prices from 185000 to $300,000 in the early oh, wow. 70s. Yeah. You could buy a house in those days for dollars $40,000. Yeah. So these were definitely a premium item, but they were actually eligible for FMCA membership because there was a pass-through from the driver's cockpit to the motorhome. So... There you go. Now, I hope that <laughs> they had a black tank and didn't just have an open hole. For you know, I believe they did. But talk about emptying your black yeah. tank. You fly over your least favorite politician and pull a valve and send a message. A message. Yeah. 
I brought you something. <laughs> no thanks. Now you could also rent one for the small price of just ten thousand a week. Well, there you go. Yeah, not bad. But they were pretty cool. They built a few of these, and they have since been dismantled. There was a guy up into the late seventies who who still was flying his around, but the RV portion has been dismantled, and some of these are still around, but just the helicopter portion. So the helihome. <laughs> so those are our crazy old timey RVs that I've written some articles about. All right. So which of you people actually camped in any of these motorhomes? I want to know. Yeah. If you've camped in a GMC, then can I come along for a ride? Yeah. <laughs> if you still have one now, yeah. you want to loan it out. Right. <laughs> well, and the Clark, when I was a little kid walking to school, there was a family who had one of those Clark Cortez motorhomes. And uh, I was always fascinated by it but my dad would had none would have none of it so he was like nope too heavy yeah i know (laughs) he was very conservative in the 70s we know lots of people who would love to try out stressless camping but don't have an rv that's why we love rv share it's a great way to test the waters without jumping in with both feet with rv share you can rent other people's rvs so you can experience stressless camping firsthand it's a great way to decide which rv is right for you try motorhomes travel trailers or fifth wheels and see what fits your lifestyle and if you want a safe and secure way to make money with your rv rv share is the way to do that safe secure and a great way to start stressless camping so check out rv share on the discounts and deals page on our website today all right we are back and now that we've covered vintage motorhomes we want to cover something that's near and dear to our hearts and to the hearts of a lot of people and that's travel with pets that's right so this week's The List bum, bum, bum. is about taking your pet, well, especially your dog, but we'll try to keep it pet generic camping with you. We used to have two dogs that we would take camping with us, and now we have no dogs because unfortunately they were older dogs and they are no longer with us except in our memories. But we still have friends that we camp with that have their dogs, so we get our little doggy dose, and we have some ideas about how to keep your pet happy and safe and keep yourself happy and safe if you take your pet camping with you. Indeed. And the first one, of course, is to make sure that your, and I, like I said, I'm going to say dog a lot because that's what I'm used to, but make sure your pet has a collar and ideally a collar with your telephone number on it. Now we used to have collars that were embroidered. The number was woven right into the collar itself, but if you don't have that or can't get that, get a tag that won't fall off that has your emergency number on it so that if your pet does wander away from camp and someone finds them, they can give you a call and let you know where the pet is. Yeah, the embroidered collars were nice because if somebody was skittish about approaching your dog, then you could read the number from some distance, at least a safe distance. And by the way, Peggy keeps saying dog because she's hounding you. (sighs) Why did you guys have to tell him you like puns? (laughs) (laughs) So we got a really nice post on our Facebook group by Julie King, and she mentioned that she had been listening. Thank you for that, Julie. Thank you, Julie. And also says, love the puntastic puns. They are very punny. 
So I appreciate the encouragement of the puns. Peggy, on the other hand. I think they're hilarious. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm just jealous because they don't pop into my head as easily as they do into yours. (laughs) You're not quite the pundit. I'm not the pundit that you are. All right, back to the dogs. Once you have your collar on your pet, make sure that you carry copies of all your pet's medical information with you. And that includes anything that the pet would need medically, any medicines or medical issues that the pet may have, but also copies of the vaccines that they've had because there are campgrounds that require you to show that they've had their vaccines before you can bring them into the park. Yes, and here's a here's a little tip. You can also scan those documents and have them on a flash drive. We had talked about the bug out bucket and having copies of your information in case you need it. Right. But don't forget that of your pets too. That's right. So it's good to have PDF copies of everything. You can email it in advance to the campground if they will deal with that. And uh, it also gives you a copy of it should you need to replace your pet's medication. And then before you actually go off on a long trip, you probably want to make sure that your pet is going to enjoy this kind of travel. So if you have a new pet or a new RV, maybe take a short trip. Maybe take a few trips around the block or maybe camp near home so that if things are not going well, you can go home and replan your life (laughs) and maybe, you know, find a sitter or something. But I don't recommend just getting a dog and putting it in your camper and running off across the country because if things are not going to work well and you're stuck in that situation, then you're, I don't know how you're going to get out of it. When you really think about it, especially in a motor home, If you have a pet and as you're going down the road, the pots and pans are rattling and everything's rattling and making all this noise. And of course, as humans, we know what's going on, but not all pets are really cognizant of the fact of what's going on. They think they might think it's like an earthquake or something's wrong or Right. And some pets just don't like, you know, they get, I don't know if it's car sickness like what I get, but some pets get so nervous that even riding just in a car, they're not happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then make sure you have a go kit. Toys, leashes, waste bags, all the little things that you need when you take your pet with you. And it's easier to just have a bag full of this stuff than try to remember it. Because you know what you're going to forget is the most important thing. The most important thing, like the leash or something. Yeah. Or or the the, food. Or the poop. (laughs) Yeah, the food. Yeah, and then Fido's going to be looking at you like, Rom, I want some food. I want some food. So we always had this plastic basket thing that we had, and it had everything in it. Well, not the food necessarily, because they were big dogs and they ate a lot. It was hard to carry. But we did have a little bit of snacks or food and all their necessities were in one place so that we could just make sure that it was there and we'd know that we had everything we needed. Yeah, worked out really well. And then don't forget also having water on hand for you and for your pets. Right. Make sure that you are carrying enough water either in your RV for the long trips or something mobile if you're taking a hike or a walk. As much as you need water, your pets do too. And so make sure that you have a way to give them some water while you're out walking around. Yeah, there's some cool, very small pet containers for water and such. So I'm sure if you have a pet, you've you've already shopped all over Amazon. Amazon for right. those. So. <laughs> so while you are out hiking or walking on trails, be sure and keep an eye out for predators. You know, there are big predators out there. So make sure that you 
know what your area is like. Talk to maybe the camp host or people that have been there for a while and make sure that you know what kind of things you're going to come up against. If you're hiking in a place where there's bears, yeah, maybe a, a dog that likes to bark at bears is not the one to take on that hike. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know of a case where somebody had a small dog and a bird of prey made off with it. Right. So yeah. just got to be cognizant. You just got to make sure that what's you, out there. Yeah. And that bird of prey thing is not just on the trails either. That could be right in camp. If you have a small pet and you have them in those little fenced in areas that you can, that are travelable, be aware of what's going on. Don't just leave them sitting out there without knowing if there's a big bird ready to take it away. Yeah. If you have smaller pets, maybe have a place where they can shelter if they have one of those pet enclosures that's the unfortunate circumstance these people had is the bird of prey saw basically a dog in a small cage portable cage thing like a fenced in area not not necessarily a cage so you know your smaller pets maybe want to be in more of a kennel instead of just a fence yeah that is not stressless camping for sure and also while you're out there on the trails or out there in the wild don't forget that there might be snakes which kind of is also so a predator issue. There also could be ticks, very likely to be ticks in long grass and things like that. And, you know, when you get back from a hike, you're probably going to check yourselves and each other for ticks. Make sure you also check your pets. Yes, absolutely. And snakes too. Well, don't check your pet. You don't have Wait, to check. On. You probably don't have to check your pet for snakes that have attached on while you're hiking. No, but, but, <laughs> but it's good to be aware of them. Also, we were talking about car sickness and mobility and noises. And when you put that all together, don't put your pet in a towed vehicle. If you are towing a camp trailer or fifth wheel or something, keep your pet in the vehicle with you, not in the towed camper. We know of a few cases where that doesn't go well. Just because the pet is back there unattended, doesn't really understand what's going on, doesn't know when the journey's going to end, and the whole world is shaking around them. And all the rattles and squeaks that an RV makes as it goes down the road are, are pretty unsettling. And I've actually ridden in a trailer being towed. Just it's crazy. Just, it's so weird. Yeah. It, and that's because I knew what was going on. Imagine. And that was on the city street at 14 miles an yeah. hour. Not 60. It can be very troubling. So if at all possible, please leave your pets in the tow vehicle with you if you're in a, if you have a towable RV. Okay, last but not least, pets at crowded events. We have seen, for example, when we were at the Quartzite show, there were as many dogs as there were people there, just about. A lot of these dogs were on a leash and such, and I saw them get their paws stepped on, and they're in crowds, and it's just not the best environment. So if you're going to a large crowd, Maybe bringing the dog isn't the best situation. Right. We did see a lot of dogs and cats in strollers. Right. (laughs) But I felt really bad for the pets that were on a leash and having to dodge the people. And, you know, the view isn't all that great for the pet. So. And then uh, at the RV show in Quartzite, everything is gravel. So after walking around for however long you're walking your dog around on gravel ground, it's probably not that comfortable for them. No. One 
one of the best things. I have a friend and I saw him at a car show and he got out of the car and he put his hands down on the ground and the ground was comfortable for his hands. And so that's when he let his dog come out. I felt bad for the dog because it's just so crowded at this show. So So that's a good test. If you wouldn't walk on it barehanded and not even barefooted, your feet are usually tougher than your hands. So if you wouldn't walk around on your hands... your bare hands, then your dog is probably not going to want to walk around either. Yeah, so be cognizant. But if your pet is going to stay back in your RV, make sure that they're comfortable there too, because we've all seen the picture of the dog who chewed his way through the RV door looking for mom and dad. Right, so don't make this the first thing you ever do. You know, you're going to want to make sure that your pet is comfortable and understands being left alone in an RV. Full-timers are already going to have that figured out. They're going to know how their pet reacts to being alone in the RV. Maybe you have a kennel. Maybe you don't do it, but know what you're getting yourself into before you take off to go to some kind of a crowded event like that. Yes, it's just common sense. When we had our dogs, there's no way that we would take them to big events because one of them was just a total spaz and the other (laughs) one just didn't like large crowds and so you know you you all obviously all know the personality of your pets i mean that's one of the beautiful things they get to spend time with us and we absolutely love dogs we kind of miss having them and we've thought about getting dogs again but we don't really want to go long-term traveling without having first introduced our pet to that kind of a life yep that's our advice. So what do you say? Do you have pets that you travel with? A lot of people seem to, and uh, they're, they can be great traveling companions. So over on our Facebook group, let's talk pets let's talk and pets. travel. And I want to know, now a lot of people are going to say they have a dog and a few people are going to say they have a cat. And we know someone who traveled with a bird for eight years full time. Yeah, that's right. And we know someone who travels with a snake full time. Yep. What else? What do you got? Surprise us. And do you like the advice we gave or do you feel we're barking up the wrong tree? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. That was doggone funny. Oh, all right. She's in the groove, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And with that, we bid you adieu. (laughs) We done. I caught on right when we were getting finished. Well, that's okay. But don't forget that if you like puns or RV tips and tricks or RV discounts, uh, tell a friend about us. And one of the best ways you can do that is to write a review over on Apple Podcasts. It's how they spread the word about our podcast. And we sincerely appreciate your doing so. We really do. Of course, we are in all the usual social places, but the place to start is StresslessCamping.com, where you can see the stories about vintage RVs and tips for traveling with pets and all of that stuff is there. And if you don't want to miss a future episode of the Stressless Camping Podcast, it's free to subscribe on any podcast app. We're saving you a seat around our virtual campfire. Thank you again for joining us this week as we are coming to you once again from Camp Driveway Camping. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great week, everybody. Happy Happy camping. camping. We hope you enjoyed this week's adventure. Time to get out on your own journey. Don't forget to leave the review on your favorite podcast app and visit StresslessCamping.com for photos, stories, an RV calendar, and more. I'm Stressless Camper Larry Richardson wishing you happy camping.